0: For those of you that haven't been with us in a few weeks or it's your first time here this morning, this summer uh, we have been spending some time going through the first eight chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, focusing on the um, pure, beautiful amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been doing so in a little different format. We've been doing it discussion-based. We have a couple of weeks left of uh, our discussion series this summer. The way, the way we've been doing that is, obviously, you can't go through Romans um, verse by verse or even chapter by chapter in such a short period of time. So we have been ripping off big chunks, going concept by concept, and kind of honoring Paul's structure— of his letter to that church at Rome by, by resting in each concept, going by what we call the no spoilers rule. Each week discussing um, these, uh, these big chunks, these big passages of Scripture, and not going ahead. The idea being, the way Paul set up this letter, the way he laid out the gospel in Romans, each concept ends with a question. That question is answered by the next passage that he writes, but we wanted to spend some time resting in those questions every single week. Uh, we started there with uh, Romans 1 through about halfway through Romans chapter 3, where Paul spends a good period of time just talking about what we call total depravity or total inability, the general idea that none of us has any area of our lives that is unaffected by sin. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. You know, Romans 3 verse 9, none of us are righteous, not even one. It doesn't matter uh, what your background is. It doesn't matter if you grew up in pews just like these. It doesn't matter if you've never darkened the door of church. We're all in the same boat. None of us are righteous. Um, I'm going to be honest. It's hard to rest in that for seven days because it it leaves you with the question of, well, then, then what hope is there? If none of us are righteous, if none of us can save ourselves, what hope is there? Well, Paul answers that in the next passage. We spent a week, Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, and and the incredible triumphant uh, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we, we can't achieve righteousness on our own, but Paul says God made a way. His righteousness is available through faith in Jesus Christ. And through that faith, there is no distinction. Now... As, as excited as we get about that concept, resting in that concept for a week, what we don't want to do is jump to the idea of Romans chapter six, this idea of sanctification that we talked about last week, because if you get those two in the improper order, then you start to make these distinctions. And Paul says there is no distinction when there's faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that brings up the question of, okay, well, if all I need is faith, that means that I can do whatever I want all the time, right? Eh, Not quite. Which is last week, Romans chapter 6, this idea of of sanctification, becoming more Christ-like, this idea that, that Paul presents of our old self died with Jesus and we are resurrected with him to new life. An amazing concept to talk about and to dive into, but it leaves us with the question of: Okay, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've I, I've I've found the righteousness of God. I'm covered with His blood through Jesus Christ. Paul tells me that I'm resurrected to new life. Yet I still struggle with so many things in my life. Why is that? Well, Paul was not immune to this as well. He recognized this. And that's exactly what we get to talk about today, that that struggle. If you guys would stand with me. I want to read a couple of verses out of Romans chapter 7 to set the stage for our discussion this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're going to read verses 18 and 19. Paul writes... For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. but There's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do. But I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Lord, we are humbled and we are amazed by your presence with us this morning. You tell us that when we ask for, vi- for wisdom, you give it to us and we receive that wisdom this morning move amongst us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, without further ado... I would love to welcome to the stage Carla Worley and Jason Dukes, who is reprising his role as he was with us last week. Um, I'm about to grab myself a cup of coffee. Would anybody like one? Sure. Yeah, there you go. All right, Jason. No, none for you, Carla.
1: None for them.
0: Jason is in charge of church multiplication within our entire family of churches. Do
1: you have a foamer back there, too, that will do my milk?
0: We, we need to get next summer next we summer? go back into this.
2: Jacob, Jacob just made a note of it. Um, uh, when,
0: we, uh, when we do this next summer, I feel like there's a lot of stuff we can, we can provide Good. for our guests that we'll make sure. We'll take all your notes at the end.
1: I'll come back
0: if there's foamy milk. Um, Carla uh, is one of the most gifted, inspired teachers that I've ever been around. Uh, she is an incredible mentor uh, within our family of churches. It's an honor to have you both with us this morning. Um, I am going to jump right in because every time I look through Romans chapter 7, first of all, I, I don't see anything I identify with. I'm sure there are some people that that may feel what Paul feels. Um, there, there, there's so much here that's terrifying to me and at the same time so much here to celebrate so so paul has just spent quite a bit of time going through kind of the relationship between salvation and the law and here here in romans chapter 7 he switches a little bit to the relationship between sin and the law and in doing so he starts with this illustration about marriage Dukes, what the heck is he talking about? Just diving into some, some seemingly strange illustration about marriage.
2: That's a great question. I mean, I, with the, the Jewish customs of marriage and the way that the religious leaders interpreted the law at that time, um, they basically would say that if someone dies, then they've become free from the covenant relationship. The, the person who's not dead becomes free from the covenant relationship with the person who has died and so they're now free to engage or have relationship with someone else and and so he's trying to use that i think to to illustrate this idea that you had this old covenant with the law and the law didn't die in fact he he goes on to to talk about that but but you did and in your death now, I'm resurrecting you to have a new relationship with, you know, and the law is not abolished, um, which I think, like you just said a while ago, that's the confusion. I think that's why we struggle, because we it still exists, and we're still trying to figure out how we relate with it. But he, he's processing this marriage metaphor to try to help us understand the new covenant relationship that we have. Carla?
0: Does that make sense to you? Yeah,
1: it does because if you think of a covenant, yeah, we we'll, won't we'll
0: get that right um, oh, at the go. time.
1: A covenant was made between a more powerful party and the needy party, right? So maybe if you were the landowner or the king, you would I would work your farm or your land, and you would let me live there and tend it and share in the produce. But but the land belonged to you and the the rewards of my harvest went to you in turn you promised that you would protect me that you would provide for me when things didn't go well and my covenant with you was based on one term only and that term was that i would not make this deal with anybody else i would solely make it with you So I will will serve you and do your work for you, and you will protect me and provide for me in return. Very much a marriage contract was like that too. I will have your children and raise them and run your household, and you will protect me and care for me. And I will not make this covenant with anybody else. I'm speaking as a wife. And so that's the basis of God's relationship with his people. So when he says, I will make a covenant with you, it means... We're going to be in an exclusive relationship. So you're going to, I'm going to take care of you and protect you and provide for you and give you all the blessings or benefits of me being God. And you're going to love me in return, only me. You're not going to make this deal with Egypt or Babylon or, you know, Amazon or anybody else. You're going to make it with only me. Got,
0: got to read those terms of service guys terms so, of service
1: so that's it so that's how they understood that's how they understood their their devotion to God was supposed to be and why why God goes on and on in the bible about why you're turning to all these other gods and all these other countries when you made a covenant with me right so he they have to worry about that because if now you're coming along and saying now you know the law doesn't save you but the laws are what God put in place to say, and this is how you live if you're my people. Then, okay, do we throw all those out now? We don't live that way anymore. Now all these Gentile people who are coming in and becoming believers, they don't keep any of those laws. That's not fair.
0: So how does it work? So, so what, when, when Paul's talking about the law here, what exactly is he talking about? You, you go back to the Old Testament, you've got all these... Um, Laws in Leviticus and you can't eat shellfish. Please tell me he's not saying I can't eat shellfish. And, uh, you know, you can't wear clothes of mixed fabrics and all of these other. Is this the law that he is referring to?
2: So it's interesting. There's much debate on that, obviously. And um, there are some who would argue that aspects of that law are cultural which is likely true for some of it. There are some who would argue that some of it was just to keep them civil so that they wouldn't kill each other or so that they wouldn't necessarily maybe take on some of the dynamics in in conflict with each other that some of their neighbors did. But um, that law, though, actually, and, and, and I was actually this week as we were preparing for this, I went back and looked at a couple notes that uh, I had learned or read before from a, a Jewish rabbi and talking about this, and, and he made this statement that just struck me that the law, as God gave it originally, was intended for our good, and it was holy, and it was gracious, and it was life-giving, and that was its intention. And it isn't that he got it wrong. Does that make sense? What, what I think my, I, my dad and I were actually talking about on the way up here, that you know, just reminding me again of it was in the Babylonian captivity when all of their arguments about the law began to take it so awry from its original intent that then it became something that we would then call legalistic or we would call burdensome.
1: But they were doing that to protect their faith and their way of life from the culture in which they lived. And isn't it so easy when you're trying to to say this is how people who believe in God live. Okay? If you're trying to, to keep that separate from the way the culture tells you to live, you start to then that's when we start to preach at you. Don't you drink, don't you smoke, don't you go with girls that chew. You know, things like right. that.
0: Dude, <laughs> okay? That's what Mama used to always tell me. I when, had I, it down.
1: when I was growing For a while, up anyway. when I was growing up, I grew up in Texas. We couldn't uh, we couldn't have mixed bathing you're at perfect. camp. In other words, the boy swam from this hour to this hour, and the girl swam from this hour to this hour. No pinks and blues. We didn't have any mixed bathing. And then we went on a youth choir mission trip to Florida, and they had a beach party for us. And we were like, what is it, a regional sin? So. <laughs>
0: <I
2: don't- laughs>
1: Do, do nice Christian boys and girls swim together or not? Well, they do in Florida. So,
2: um, <laughs> and that's why so many people started right? moving to Florida. So, then, <laughs>
1: yeah. um, so, so, you know, that's how cultural things, yeah, we mean well because we're trying to protect the things that are of God. But then we, be, they, we begin to trust in the rule following. And we think the rule following is what makes us right with God. The rule following is what makes us good, what makes God love us. And then, you know, so then we fail at the rule following, and then we say, uh-oh, so God must not love me because I can't keep the rules right. And, and the other people who follow God are all pointing their finger at me and saying, you can't keep the rules, so God doesn't love you. Halfway through the Bible, then, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says to his people who can't keep the rules. I'm going to give you a new heart heart. and a new spirit because I'm going to remove your heart of stone. In other words, you won't need it written down on tablets of stone to know how to live in the way that loves me back. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to put my own spirit within you. I'm going to give you a living, beating heart and I will move you to live in my way that 's what you and I have the benefit of, we have Christ and his spirit living in us, so that he changes what we want to do instead of us just saying what 's the rule here and that 's where you find yourself in the verses you read today right
0: Which, so, so paul he, he explores this relationship between sin and the law, um, but then he, he has this almost visceral reaction to yes. The, the, the new heart, Jesus put, I have the spirit of Jesus within me. Yeah. Then why is it I keep messing up? I, I, I want to do what's good, yes. but I only do what's bad. And it's just this, I mean, we, we have all been in that place. And that's how we of, live. And, and so this week, Carly, you wrote to me that um, Romans seven fifteen through 25, where, where Paul is in that place of I desperately wanna do what's right and I just can't Mm -hmm. do it. You said that passage more than any other passage describes what it's like to be human. Unpack that for me.
1: Yeah. Okay, when my, I have three boys, my youngest son Ben went to kindergarten. Ben has severe ADHD. He's like the wiggliest child you ever in your life. And so when he went to school, I knew this was going to be really interesting. And sure enough, you know, he, he, I would get notes like, Ben needs to learn that you don't slide down the hall to lunch. You walk down the hall to lunch. And, you know, so, so they had this color-coded behavior enforcement system in the classroom. Everybody had a little pocket with their name next to it hanging on the wall. And the pocket had colored index cards. And everybody started on blue for the day. And then if you got called down for sliding to the lunchroom, then you got, had to pull the blue card out and you had a green card. And then you worked your way through the colors until you came to the last card in the pocket was orange. So if you had an orange card at the end of the day, you would have an orange note from your teacher and an orange stamp on your hand. And your mom would know it's been a very hard day for Ben. And so like about the second week of like the ninth day in a row of Ben, with the sticker and the note. I was like, Ben, orange again? And he said, I know, Mom, I want to be blue, but my head tells me to be orange. Right? And I said, Ben, that's in the Bible. And we got his little Bible out (laughs) and we looked at this passage, Romans, and we said, That I wanna do, but I don't do it. And the thing I don't wanna do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And we highlighted it in orange because Ben understands. (laughs) He understands, right? Everybody understands. My granddaughter, Ava, she's seven. She's so mad at her little sister who follows her around all the time. And she's so mean to her. And I said, Ava, We were talking about this. I said, you don't have to. She's like, I know, but I love her. But when she bugs me, it makes me want to punch her in the face. And I said, I know. But, you know, have you ever felt like I really want to do that, but I I know I shouldn't? She goes, yeah. And I said, well, you know, that's what Jesus helps us with, to want more to do the right thing. She goes, I don't think I can. (sighs) That's just how I, we live, right? Do you feel that way? Don't you go, like, I know I'm not supposed yes. to do this, but this is what I want to do. What,
0: what, what I took from that story was that orange represents all that's evil. That's right. Is that Ruby Love? Are you taking notes? <laughs> Check, please.
2: Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You misunderstood. Yeah. He said. <laughs> okay. So,
0: Which, by the way, I forgot to mention. We've got a phone number right behind us. Um, We want this to be participative. We want to do everything we can. It's not an easy word to say, Jason. We want to do everything we can to receive your questions and address as many of those as possible. Uh, My lovely assistant, Jacob Bell, uh, receives those questions and will bring them up to us. There is one here, Jason, that says, What does growing in Christ look like if I keep on struggling with the same sin? If, if my brain wants to be yep. orange, what does what growing in Christ look and like? And we talked
1: about this this week, Jason, didn't we? Because you said, why do I keep kicking myself and yeah. saying there's something wrong with me? Yeah. Or expecting myself to do better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we hit it a little bit last week. I mean, I think, I think the, the struggle is twofold. And it's more than that. But two things that I would highlight. We sang about it earlier right that that we forget mm. you know we 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 forget there is a new reality that God is with us, and when I was growing up my 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 I, this is not an exaggeration because preachers exaggerate, but, well, I don't know what you're talking about yeah. but but my uh, I got spanked every single day in kindergarten by my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> Whoa. Every single day. And I'm not exaggerating. Dad can attest to it. Right over there. So, I, I, I mean, I, I understand. I, I get it. I get even how Ben felt then. And, and, and you, I get how all of us feel, right? Like, So we're growing in Christ, but why do I keep doing this? And when you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just believing That he died for the sins that you haven't... Or that you've already committed. But maybe not the ones you've committed. Like you are believing you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Period. Like it's not you were forgiven for that stuff. But there's a few things coming up. You're forgiven. And I I think we... I think that's why he takes it the way he takes it here. To say, so now I just do whatever I want, right? But no, 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 that's not at all it. Now you live as though you're forgiven. You you've been given the keys to the cage you were in. You don't have to just live locked up and enslaved in that. And so your growing in Christ has more to do with believing that. And, and, and remembering you. that he's with you. Like, I, when, when I wouldn't act up when dad was around. <laughs> right? Like, when he was around, you know, and, and, and he, he was... My dad's been a preacher for so long, 50, since he was 18 years old. And I uh, several times when I was growing up, I got called up onto the stage in front of everyone for him to lean down and tell me to be quiet and go sit back out there. Yep. Right? So, like like and it was during the music time right so he, he was he didn't do that when he was preaching but but during the like, like I, but when i was with dad when i remembered i was with him i was a lot more likely to do what dad did
1: yeah mm. and and we talk so much about forgiveness which is true that's what what we get from jesus death but we also i want to pull back to chapter 6 where That beautiful verse that a lot of our preachers use to baptize us. So we were buried with Christ by baptism into death. In other words, the old orange us is buried. And raised to walk in a new way of life. Okay, so not only from Jesus' death and resurrection do we get forgiveness, but we also get a new heart and a new way of, of living. And, and that's a change that all the all the offerings and sacrifices and rule-keeping in the world couldn't give them, was a new heart that wants. So I just wonder if, you know, if spiritual growth looks like, should look like, I recognize sooner in my struggle, oh, that which I want to do, I don't do, that which I don't want to do, I do, that sooner sooner than before I am starting to go, oh. I am a wretched man. I can't ever win this struggle. Who will rescue me from this? Thanks be to God, I have Jesus in me and with me. And I, and I begin to make that turn quicker. Maybe spiritual growth is something, instead of us all celebrating how we've been forgiven and now we're perfect and we do everything right, that's not celebrating grace. Maybe we should, maybe we should be celebrating, hey, this week it didn't take me as long to realize that I'm a wretched man who's orange in my head and that I needed Jesus. Would
0: it be fair to say, I'm sorry, Jason, no, no. would it be fair to say that the struggle itself is evidence of Jesus in you?
1: Don't you think? You wouldn't be aware of it if you didn't have Jesus in the sorry. Holy Spirit in you saying, David.
2: And I think, I think that's where, that's what he's trying to communicate here and I think he does. I think we often miss it because we are still very focused on the law Oh yeah, I have grace in Jesus and I have the law. Oh yeah, I have grace in Jesus, but I have... like we're still, we're, We still wrestle with that and, and understanding the relationship between the two. And so we, we, it's almost like we struggle to remember that we have this reality with Him. I mean, I, I think verse uh, verse 13, I think it is, is so important. So did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying sin tried to trap and enslave me with a God-given good and holy thing called the law. Sin was using it to trap me. And here's how crafty God is God, knowing that would happen, then in turn used the law to trap sin. Because on the cross, he did. He trapped it, he forgave, he he led to that moment. That's why in Galatians, Paul would say the law has two purposes. It highlights things we should and shouldn't do, but it's also a guardian to hold us until the time of Christ. And all of this other stuff in Colossians, it says, is this previous to Christ is the shadow of the substance to come. Mm. And and I I think we... We, we spend so much time trying to think better of ourselves. We need to think of what God thinks of us more than what we think of God and what we think of ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and I just would implore, encourage you, as you process that, understand that God, Jesus is not standing by you going like this. David, how are you going to take care of that sin? <laughs> Instead, he's standing beside you going, David, I took care of that. Yeah, It reminds me,
0: Carly, you wrote something to me this week that said, the creation and fall aren't stories about the badness of man. They're stories about the goodness of God, which is a complete shift of the way we often look at it. You know, when
1: you look back and you realize that what God created was so good and all in harmony and It was what God intended. And then it's been broken. It's been distorted. But God didn't leave us in that. Uh, I think we get confused about why we left the garden. God says when he looks at people and now their relationships are out of whack and their work is out of whack and their relationship with him is out of whack and this is broken everything. He says, it's not good for me to let them live like this and live forever. Mm. So I'm going to put them out of the garden so they can't eat from the tree of life and live in this state forever. Wow, that's why the future is good news to me because I know I'm not, yes, I don't like the way the world is, but neither does God and he has done something about it and he is continuing to finish that work. And one day I won't feel this tug of war anymore. I do right now and so I constantly have to cry out. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver from him this body of death? And I need to not underestimate that. Mm. I need to walk out this week and know that I'm going to have that struggle. Because that's who I am. But I know who Jesus is. And that he died not only to set me free from the punishment of sin, but the power of sin. Sin doesn't have power over me. I may wrestle with it, but Jesus... Is the one who has power over me. And I can move into that truth sooner and grow into that surety and not be so afraid of my badness.
2: And and, and real quickly, the the thing that I think is, is vital for us to keep reminding ourselves of is my growing in Christ, my maturing, it doesn't produce a better me. It actually, my maturing produces a greater awareness of how good God is. So true. It's not a production of how good I am, and that's how we've gotten it wrong. Like we, we, the cross gets bigger the more I mature in Christ. My desperate need for the for grace gets bigger. I'm aware of it more. The more I mature in Christ, it isn't that I have it all together, but that, but that reality, that 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 um, struggle that we have to move away from performance to move away, and that's why. And and I think this may you may not want to jump on this, so we'll move on from it. But the majority of the New Testament, over ninety percent, is written to you, plural. We we read all of this like it's me, singular. Mm. and God. It's not. It's an us. Mm -hmm. There's something else at work here. This isn't just my need to be a good person. It's actually our awareness of how good God is and that he looks at us all and says, you're worth dying for to me.
1: And wouldn't that change? That changes the way we uh sh- the way we share our hope and our faith with other people the gospel that we proclaim then becomes the goodness of god and the grace of jesus christ in us not our goodness in our rightness who wants to come in here and belong to a perfected crowd hmm. because they're not but who wants to come in here and hear the stories of grace and wants to celebrate that god was so good to me this week because i'm orange but he Slow is down. blue, 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 blue all the time, mm. right?
0: We have so many questions that I would, that I would love to get to. Um, we have so many questions that, that you guys presented this week that I would love yes. to get to. Um, okay, well, <laughs> the one, w- yes. there is a question about forgiveness and repentance. And I know you talked a little bit to me uh, this week about that. If you want to address that, um, the, the, the specific question was, does forgiveness... Uh, we've talked a lot about how, you know, at that at that moment of salvation, that moment of faith, all, all of our sins are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that forgiveness involve repentance?
1: Of course it does. That's the new way of life. In the old way of life, I would have done those things, and so what? I wouldn't have even recognized that I did anything that I wasn't meant to do. But now I have the spirit of Christ in me who pricks me. And like I said, spiritual growth to me is quick. The quicker I get to repentance, the quicker I get to realizing who I am and say, I don't want this in my life. I want what you want more than what I want. The quicker I get to that, that's growth.
0: Does that repentance Repentance in practical practical application, does that repentance mean... Every day at the end of the day, I need a list of my sins and say, God, I did this, that, and the other thing. Forgive me for those things. (laughs) No,
2: I think think we have to, to to answer that question, we have to remind ourselves that my repentance doesn't then cause forgiveness. God's forgiveness causes my repentance.
1: Exactly. And, And repentance would be to turn around and go the other way, to completely change your mind. So God's forgiveness is so good that I begin to go, Oh, well, I'd rather go that direction toward him than I would this direction toward what when, I always have done.
2: And John, John, the writer John seemed to understand this. That's why if you look at 1 John 1, 9, the verse we all quote about sin and forgiveness, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, what he, when you look at the language of that text... He's speaking of a reality that we agree with, which is what confession is. He's not saying your confession is the cause that affects this forgiveness that now... No, no, no. The forgiveness, that's why, that's why he goes on to write, Man, how great, how good is it that God has lavished his love upon us that we might be called children of God as we sing about mm. this morning, right? Like, like John understood the reality of you are forgiven, and repentance is this agreement and this rethinking of, I've got to get it better, I've got to get it better, I've got, no, no, God, you're good, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, and I am still going to struggle at times with sin, and I may still repeat, this sin over here might be on repeat, 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 and I, and I, and I keep trying to find victory in that. And it's just this reminder of uh, God is with me, God is with me, God is with me, and living a life that then allows those things to begin to be transformed because of what he's now written on our heart, that reality. Because confession
1: actually means agreement. So when when I am so persuaded by God's forgiveness and love, I begin to say, oh, I agree with you, God. That way of doing things is not best for me or anyone else. I agree with you, so let's change it. Not, please don't punish me, so I'm going to agree with you. That's different.
0: Y'all, I could could honestly do this all day. I'm so grateful um, for you both being here this morning. Sadly, there's just no way we can get to all of these. Now, for those of you that that did send in questions that you feel like haven't been responded to each week, I'll post a video on our social media uh, that will make sure to respond to all of these questions. So you can you can look for that as we start to come to a close this morning. If there is one thing that you want to be sure everyone hears about Romans chapter 7. This this most human of passages, most human of struggles. What is that? What would that one thing be, Carla?
1: You're not the only one that feels that way. Mm. That's just human. Okay? You're not bad. You're human. But you don't have to live that way. And that's the good news
0: mm.
1: of the gospel.
2: Jason? Hmm. you know i you you asked us to think about that and i i wrestled with two different things i'll say one of them and that is the language that paul uses here even the word wretched in the original language in not only in biblical but in extra biblical use of that word it's a word that in our modern day we would understand like this mm. We would understand it if I would said to someone, I'm wretched in our modern day. I I in some ways would be saying, I've been used, manipulated, contorted, twisted, abused. Like that's who I am. That has happened to me. And in the narrative of the whole of scripture, sin and the evil one they has been in a sense trafficking us in a, in a sense abusing us in a sense going after God's beloved and doing everything as Jesus said in John 10 to steal kill and destroy us mm-hmm. and and if you've ever walked with anyone that's walked through abuse of any kind the manipulation of their mind is it is a prison That feels like it is enslaving you. And so you cry out as Paul does here, who will rescue me? Mm. Mm. And 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 so I'm trying to what I'm what I'm ultimately trying to say is be kind to yourself. Be gracious with yourself. Don't expect more of yourself than Jesus does. Because on the cross, he looked out and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why would he say that? Not because we we aren't held accountable. Not because we're trying to just blame. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not just trying to blame somebody else. We all have a part in this because of that seed of evil that we were duped into eating and partaking of. Right? Like, like we all have a part in this. But but the reality of it is, there is one who has recu- rescued us. In verse 25, it says, I thank God. That's the same word as grace. The grace through Jesus Christ is what rescues us. And so my dad told me this when I was in middle school, and I've never forgotten any. He said, a mentor of his said to him one time, as you keep struggling with those sins, you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, but it also might help. For you to look Satan square in the eyes and say, can I see the back of your neck? Because it has the footprint of Jesus on it. And and the reality of it is, there is now absolutely no condemnation Mm. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's your reality. That's my reality. I... I have to keep, if it's a post-it on the mirror, if it's a tattoo on the forearm, if it's a whatever it is, you have got to keep in your heart and mind and ever before you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm so grateful for your time this morning. Um,
0: if you have further questions, if there are things you don't understand, if there are things you are continue to, continuing to struggle with in this passage, um, you, can, you can find us online. That number doesn't go away. It's available all week long. Send your questions in. As Jason pointed out, this is written to you, plural. Let's celebrate the fact that we get to walk through this together. Carla? Would you close us out with a word of prayer?
1: Oh, wonderful, wonderful, Father. We think about these things, and they're so deep, but they're so true true to us because we feel them this is where we live and move and lord we can't even begin to say anything to you until we confess until we agree that you are right when you say there is nothing good in us Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that the wishing of good is not even in us but lord You went ahead and loved us. You went ahead and restored us and forgave us. You went ahead and sacrificed your son because no sacrifice or behavior we could ever come up with would give us a new heart. And we thank you for the new heart and the new way of life. And Lord, we want to live it. We want to declare to you this morning that we want to live that new way of life. And so this week when we walk out into our struggles and when we confront our brains that say, no, do this, when we know your way is the other. Lord, be with us. Be present with us. Lord, remind us of the things that we've sung and the things that we've said in this morning. May we be strengthened by each other. Lord, send someone alongside us to strengthen us. But most of all, Lord, may your power be unleashed in us to change our minds and our hearts, to give us new desires and overwhelm us with your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, your grace. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we do declare that to you today. We love you. Amen.